You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I invite you guys to, uh, to open up to Genesis 30, uh, as we'll get going here in just a moment there. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis 30. A special praise and, and a shout out to Becca Bowie. How many of you guys know Becca Bowie? Becca uh, has also just kind of been here for the last couple of months, um, and she's a family member here, and she serves with the youth. She also serves with worship, and she got a total of seven hours over the last two days because Becca hosted our very first City Lights lock-in. Come on. Come on, you're official when it's teenagers, and if it smelled a little more like adolescents in this room, they're watching Tangled uh, overnight, and, uh, and I'm just so thankful for Andre for the work that he's doing, for Becca. Uh, giving away not only her life but her sleep uh, in the name of Jesus to see to, fe- to see family built up, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I couldn't agree more, Evan, with your sentiments this morning uh, about worship being a place of gratitude. Um, uh, he's just too good to us, and the worship issue is not so much a singing thing or even a, a posture thing. It's 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 a blindness thing. We don't see right. We don't see how good he is and how he decorates our life with grace. Uh, we went up all the way to Moonshine Mountain. I was getting a little Clark Griswold mode yesterday. You know when you're a dad and you want plans, you got to get your kids in the minivan, man. It's time. We're going to have fun for crying out loud for once in our life. You know, you get these plans and, and they never work, right? They never work. They always fall apart. Man, we got up there and it's like we had all the cash and we were ready for the tubing and we were right there for the four o'clock thing. And wouldn't you know at Moonshine Mountain up there, you can't just only... Only newbie dads, only fools go up there at 4 o'clock and think you can just go sledding at 4 o'clock for no good reason at Moonshine Mountain. So anyways, they closed down the tubing thing, and I was just ready to just, just tip over a porta potty I was so upset out there. <laughs> and, um, and, then, uh, and then my son Leo down here, Leo's taking after his own dad. Uh, I'm right in the middle of my bad attitude, and all of a sudden, sometimes you're in a bad attitude, you just need to get hit by a snowball. That's what you need, right? And so my son Leo, he's just to chip off the old block. He reels me with one right in the neck, and it's on like Donkey Kong, dude. I still have a shoulder contusion right, contusion right here. I was pitching like Nolan Ryan, man, in the ninth, just killing kids. I was, you can look at my Instagram. There's a picture of my mother on there. If you look close enough, there's actually a snowball right here because I've been hitting people in the head. I do headshots. I only kill. I don't know what video games you were playing, but I aim to take them out, and uh, I'm good at it. I'm really good at it, and uh, luckily I didn't make any kids cry, so that's, that is my, my celebration. But listen, you know, we were walking away. And COVID, has COVID got you? Has COVID thrown you for a little bit of a loop? It, it's thrown me, man. It's thrown me a little bit. And um, we, were, uh, we went to um, Washington, D.C. You know, I'm getting my Griswold mode, the spirit of Christmas vacation. We're going, we're having fun. And so last year we went to D.C. and it was a great time. And, and I, was, I was like, I can't have my kids grow up in, in snow poverty, so we got to go in the snow. And, and, and you know what? COVID, COVID, COVID threw us down, but you know what? Flat Rock came through. And we're walking away, and, uh, and I was like, this was our trip, like the Lord, like, like we were headed to go in this New Year's to go find snow, and the snow found us, and the Lord keeps pursuing us in that way, and she goes, did you pray for it? And I was like, I don't know if I prayed for it, but I feel like his gifts are better than my requests sometimes, and he sees me, and he keeps on giving good gifts, and it's like when our plans are too narrow and tight, we don't get to see the goodness of God because we're too bent on what we want, but listen, what he wants for us is so much better than what we want. And I guarantee you that whatever Justin put in that bag, you know, um, for, for Evan to come home with, it was probably better than Forever 21 because I know Justin's taste, man. He don't mess around, you know. Uh, but he's so good. And, and it's like he, he gives us, he, he's, he's a good watcher and he sees us. And his answers are better than our prayers. His gifts are better than our requests. And this is how good he is. And this is, I think, what worship is about. We, we, we don't struggle with, with being better. We struggle with seeing better that you would open us up the eyes of our heart and we could see your grace. It's, it's all around us, it's all around us. And so we're in uh, Relentless Grace, Genesis 30. If you're there, um, we're in the middle of this story about Jacob. Man, this thing has drawn on. This guy is a, a lunatic. He's, he's crazy. And uh, so Jacob, his name means deceiver, and he was called in the womb. He had, there's two brothers in the womb, and, and, and God says, this one, I choose this one. He's going to be a nation after my heart, and he's going to prolong, you know, and, and, and continue the blessing promise. And Jacob's going to be changed. His name is going to become Israel. But man, in the meantime, between, you know, the, the, the promise and the reception of the promise is a whole bunch. If, you, if you've been with anybody in life and, and seen how people act, man, it's a long time for God to get a hold of somebody's heart and change them. Um, man, we were talking about this at men's lunch just the other day. Like, healing somebody's arm is nothing compared to somebody changing somebody's heart. Have you been with somebody stubborn before? Have you seen these people? Have you seen yourself of just how long, you know, like, like you know, like, there, there's people, like, we, we would say, you know, like, for us, it'd be impossible for somebody to be raised from the dead. But I guarantee you, there'd probably be somebody in your life that you would, 
you would see as more of a miracle if they actually changed and turned to Jesus than somebody raising from the dead. And that is what this is. The gospel is a miracle. The gospel is not some uh, easy, quick, fix it, uh, hocus pocus prayer. It is the grace of God that continues to chase us and wrestle us and, and injure us like he injures Jacob's uh, hip until we're changed, changed from the inside out. And that's where we are. That's where we are in Genesis 30. We're picking up on that story. Um, so uh, I know you guys know this. Before I was um, pastor here, I was the youth pastor, uh, which means that um, I actually didn't do any lock-ins. I told them from day one. I was like, listen, I'm uh, Oliver, and uh, as you can see, I'm probably the only Asian uh, youth pastor you'll ever have. And my rule number one and only rule is we will be new, doing no lock-ins. And uh, that ruined it from the start, man. I just did not allow any, any lock-ins. Um, but we did, have, we did have talent shows. And so every year we'd have this, this talent show, and it was basically every, every chance little girls would get up there and sing One Direction songs. And, uh, and uh, we had a kid named uh, Logan White Chocolate Wolford. And uh, I still remember some of these raps. I'm not going to hurt you with them. But, man, he was just up there with the long curly hair, and he was just and he'd get one of his buddies up there and go for it, freestyle for a couple minutes. We had this one kid named James. Couldn't find James for a little while. Kind of scared us. Uh, we were kind of looking for, like, maybe he's gone. Uh, he was, like, the sixth up on the act. Couldn't find him. And all of a sudden, we hear this little, hey, 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 James. James is in the background. He had the microphone. Don't know. He must have gave 20 bucks to the sound guy, and he came out. He, 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 he was covered in Heath Ledger white makeup and, like, Joker makeup. I'm not kidding. He had a pencil, and he was like, he, he, he. And then every now and again, he'd go, why so serious? <laughs> and it was, like, not funny. It was, like, a little bit like, ah. Like, it was, like, everybody was on edge, you know, and he had that pencil. He's going up to little, little girls, and he's like, why so serious? And he took it too far, man. It was not good. It was not good. Um, uh, I always remember, though, uh, the, the one night, Isaac Morris, this is Maurice right here. I say hey to Maurice, was in the youth group. He'll, he'll know. This was the beginning, man. It was the Genesis. So Isaac Morris, man, he sings like the voice of a thousand angels and Justin Bieber's put together. And um, I never heard the kids sing. And, and he's just like, there's no place I'd rather be. This was after the talent show's over. All the little One Direction things are over. And somehow he gets the microphone when all the parents, no place than here in your heart and here in your heart. And he's just singing, he's singing, he's singing. And everybody came around him, starts clapping. And I'm telling you, dude, listen, have you ever experienced this moment when a talent show gets turned into an anointing show? When, right, when the kid brings a gun to a knife fight? I mean, this kid, it wasn't about talent. It's goosebumps, dude. And it was like pouring out of him. And, and it's like, you know the difference, right? When somebody's operating in their talent and when they operate in their anointing, because it's not just a person, it's the spirit of God that comes on somebody's life and it's pouring out of them and they're not just showing off a talent, they're telling a story. Man, you could cry over something like that. They could be a little bit tone deaf for all I'm concerned. There's something different when somebody is not just showing off the talent, but the gift of the Holy Spirit that's on them. And even the world can recognize it. Even the world, that guy that wrote that song, right? He was on The Voice and he made it further on down the line and even people don't like Jesus and Jesus, old-fashioned, blah, 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 but they knew the Holy Spirit. They could be sick of Jesus, but they know the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit's on somebody's life. So there's difference, right, between a talent and a gift. And so I want to I talk this morning because this morning is, in this passage, it's about, you know, the moms having babies. And, um, and, and, and so therein, it, it is about the promise to be fruitful. Um. The thing about it is, is that, you know, when we were created, God created us. He, like, creates all this stuff in seven days, and then he, he repeats this, the whole passage, and he puts Adam and Eve in this garden, because Adam and Eve are gardeners. And he tells them this command. He tells them, you know, to be fruitful and to multiply. This is what he tells you and me. He says, you were created, you know, to be fruitful and to multiply. And sometimes, um, in the midst of that, of that process, of that pruning process and growth process, um, we settle for success instead of being fruitful. And I just want to, I have a very simple message today, and it's, it's that we're not for, made for success, we're made to be fruitful. And those are two different things. Let me show you something. In Ephesians chapter 2, before we get into Genesis 30, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Did you know you're a gift? Did you know that you were a gift to be given? Did you know that um, you are blessed to be a blessing? And that if you don't give your gift, no one else can give your gift for you? And so, and so you, were, you were created not in a factory. You were not created in a laboratory. You were created in God's hands. And God's going to say further on, as you're recreated in Jesus' name, you are not just created in an assembly line. You are God's handiwork, verse 9, not by work so that no one can boast, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for you to do in advance. I have a love-hate relationship with the Enneagram. 
Y'all know, I talk about the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality test that has numbers one through nine, and it's supposed to show us out of these core, you know, fears and longings of our desires, whether it be fear and ambition and so forth. And so it, it creates these, these categories. You're a one, or you're a two, or you're a three, or a four, or you're a nine, or whatever. Some of you guys are more familiar with the DISC test or the Myers-Briggs. We love this stuff, and it's good because it creates the language for us to talk about, you know, our strengths and weaknesses. And it just helps us understand, look, not everybody's like you. Not everybody thinks like you. So I'm not here to hate on that. But the problem with the Enneagram is when it goes too far, it puts people in boxes. Have you noticed this, right? And so I'm just the way that I am, and I don't need to change because I'm just a two, man. I'm just made by God to be a two because two's in the Bible, and that's clearly a biblical theme, obviously, that twos just do two things. And so when you're being a two, you're just being a two, and you're just being a jerk for being a two, and you would act this way, you're being a two. You know, maybe God would use us in these things that we're made up in our wiring, but sometimes maybe God would use us in ways that we're not wired to be. Because we're not really numbers in the end, we're names in the first place. And God's saying that we're made as unique as snowflakes and fingerprints. We're handmade, we're not made in assembly line as much as the world wants to categorize us into our little job descriptions and our holes and our pigeonholes of you're just being a two, an INTJ, an EFP, or whatever it may be. God's saying you're not a number, you're a name. And you're a son, and you're a daughter. And I've made you with my hands, not in a factory. And so we're not made for success. It's funny you can find people that have all the success in the world but can't scratch the surface of fruit because humans can't duplicate fruit. Only God creates fruit. Humans can create success, but only God can bear fruit. And so you can meet somebody, man, and, and they'll, be, they'll be richer than, than Bill Gates and, and have everything, you know, like the six-plaque abs and, and the 50 million followers, but they can't seem to find any peace in their life. And you can meet people, right, that are lawyers and attorneys and doctors, and they can't get... Forgiveness back in their home between their sons and their daughters. Because forgiveness isn't a success rate. Forgiveness is a fruit, and you can't produce fruit. Humans can work as hard as they can for success, but success can't produce fruit. Only God produces fruit. You can go to medical school and learn about medicine and, 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 and for all the wisdom and practice and, and, and wisdom that we have, like for all the success that you can have in your hand, you can't cure cancer because only God can bring life. Only God can bring salvation. This is the limitation of man. Here's the rub, man. This is why it so frustrates us. Because humans like control. And fruit can never come from human control. Because fruit can only come from God. So this is where we live, right? Like, there's two different kinds of control. There's, there's the tyrant who's going into Wendy's, and he's yelling at everybody about why his burger's not, you know, well done or whatever he wanted, right? But there's also the Zen master control. And the Zen master keeps their world so small that there's never any risk or never any problems or never anything. But, but the deal is, is that fruit can't come from control because only God can create fruit. And so this is the world that I love to live in and probably that you love to live in as well. I like to be responsible for things that I'm in control of. Or I want to be in a place where I'm not responsible and, and I'm not in control. But I don't like to be responsible and, 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 and out of control at the same time. That's the last place that I want to be. And this is where fruit is. This is where fruit is. God has created us for fruit and not for just for success. God has created us to do what only God can do through us. And you are a gift from God to, to live out handmade things and handmade gifts that only he can do from you. And it cannot come from independence and only come from dependence. Take a look at this passage. I got one more for you and I promise I'll get into Genesis. But it says this. Matthew 28. Think about this. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him but some doubted. Verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and be fruitful. Go and make disciples. Go and live and preach and help and, and, and pour yourself out into the nations and generations, so much so that people will be brought from death into spiritual life, being made disciples, and name them in my name. Baptize them and lead them into a spiritual life. I can't lead anybody into spiritual life. I can't, I can't cause somebody to go from spiritual death into spiritual life. He's saying, go, this is what you're commanded to do, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're not created to organize your garage and keep your lawn manicured. You're created for impossible things, to see the kingdom of God break forward, forward and break forth and to move into impossible territory. Because why? Verse 20, most important passage of maybe even all the New Testament, the greatest promise that we'd ever have from heaven itself. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you because I am with you always until the ends of the earth. This is the problem. This is the problem. Humans love to live 
in places where they can control the things they're responsible for. We, we love that. We love to be responsible for our classrooms as teachers. We love to have our rules on the board and the syllabus and the binders. We love to control the grades. That's a Zen garden that we get to rake our little sandcastle on and control the entire environment. But fruit doesn't come from control. Fruit comes from surrender. So what has God done here? He calls his disciples up in the mountain. As far as your eyes can see from Judea, Jerusalem, the ends of the earth, you're responsible for that space. Your command, where you're called to be, it's easier to keep your, your garage organized. That, I know you feel good in the little Zen garden, right? The place where you're responsible and where your control, your domain of control, your sphere of influence is, is, is equilibrium, is calibrated. I'm going to mess with you a little bit because you're not called to be successful. You're called to be fruitful. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to call your responsibility to go out beyond your control. Beyond your control. What is prayer? Lord, your kingdom come, your earth be, your, your kingdom come, your will be done in Greenville as in heaven. What does that mean? That means that is, is Greenville a place where, where one person is in charge, where one police officer, you know, can dictate the rules and, the, and, and one governor can get elected and one thing can get changed so that everything is in control? No, Greenville is just like the, the sermon here in Galilee. It's a space of lack of control where God is asking us to take responsibility for the things that we can't control. Why? Because he says in the promise in verse 19, make disciples of all nations, and then in verse 20, because I am with you. This is where the fruit happens. We want to live in the place where we can control things and when, 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 uh, when we're responsible for the things we control. Or if we're going to be responsible for something, we daggum better have some authority to be able to tell people what to do. But this is where God calls us to be. In the realm of faith, it's the place of no control but having responsibility. It's having responsibility. It's taking ownership and drawing a circle around your neighborhood. You don't have power and control in your neighborhood, but you do have responsibility to it. And unless we're able to live in that mess, unless we're able to live in that tension of taking responsibility for things that we can't control, we'll have success, but we'll never have fruit. This is the place. This is the place of surrender. All right. So Genesis 30, let's keep that in view as we think about what fruitfulness looks like, first of all, biologically through Leah and Rachel, but then in a wider scope as we think about what it would look like to see actual fruitfulness, not just man-made engineering and success. This is what it says in Genesis 30, starting in um, uh, 31. It says this, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery and surely my husband will love me now. You know, we're famous um, as Christians for um, naming the season ourselves. Uh, how many times have you gone into Bible study and you tell your Bible study, I know it now, I, I got it all under control now, everything's all good, I figured it out. I listened to this one worship song and now I know the beginning, the alpha, omega, and the end of my whole story and I'm right on track with God, now God's on track with me and I'm ready to sail the ship, right? So here's, here's uh, Rachel can, picking up on this theme of, of having a blessing, but not knowing she has the blessing. And this is the theme of Genesis, is that these people are blessed to be a blessing, but oftentimes they don't realize it, so they continue to take instead of trust. And so she says, I'm going to have this baby now, and because I have this baby, I know my husband's going to love me now. I'm going to finally have the blessing because I have this baby. It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. Verse 33, she conceives again. And when she gives birth to a son, she says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Lastly, verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So the two sisters, if you guys remember from the last time, were both married by Jacob in kind of a wife swap, weird scenario, where Jacob works for seven years for the first wife, Leah, who he didn't want, and uh, was given Leah uh, instead of Rachel in the middle of the night. It was a swap that Laban had tricked him with, and so he gets this wife that he didn't love and that he didn't want. So he works for seven more years, and then, and then Laban goes ahead and gives him the wife that he wanted, the beautiful one that he wanted, that he had his eyes for, Rachel. And it says right there in the beginning of the passage that the Lord sees all this and sees that Leah is not wanted, and because of that, decides to pick Leah instead of Jacob. The theme continues, right? That, that the things that God wants are not always the things that man wants, and the things that man sees and wants are not always the things that God wants. And so the, the cycle is repeated here, that as you guys remember, there is a chosenness here where, uh, where, where Jacob was chosen, but Esau was not. Esau was loved, but Jacob was chosen. 
And isn't this the way of the world? Because God doesn't choose fairness, he chooses blessing. And he wants to bless one person to be an overflow into the blessing of the other person. But the problem is, is that one person gets blessed, they consider themselves better. And when somebody else is not blessed or not chosen, then they consider themselves bitter. And that is the rivalry that exists because God does not bless everybody at the same pace and the same time. Have you noticed this before? Have you seen how sometimes you got to wait a little bit longer and some people are getting pregnant before you are and some people are seeing their dream realized before you and they're not working half as hard as you and they don't care half as much as you but yet God continues to choose people and not choose other people and this is sort of the sovereign hand of God that he's not a fair God but he's a blessing God. And so they don't understand this, they don't, they don't reckon with it and so there's a tension that ensues and so here you go, you've got two people both having something that they don't understand and wanting something that they don't have. You've got Rachel who wants to be uh, blessed. She wants to be chosen. She wants to have babies and her womb is closed. Okay. But she's loved and has affection from her husband. On the other hand, you've got Leah who is chosen, but she's not loved. And God sees Leah, opens up the womb and reminds the reader this morning that fruit only comes from him. He's the only one that can open up the barren womb. And so this passage speaks to the whole church, but especially ladies in the room might resonate with the struggle of, as we're going to read on in a moment of of am I seen and um, am I taken care of? The husband Jacob here is, is, is kind of MIA, being passive and uh, running away from his problems and running away from his blessing and running away from caring for his wives. And, and so even in this world today, I mean, it's a competitive deal, man. We got into homeschooling a little bit and uh, the homeschool world can be, can be rough with the moms. There's lots of different kinds of moms with lots of different kinds of opinions and they will tell you exactly what their opinions are. And there's a lot of molds and expectations for women in our world to be more professional and more strong and more forthright and then also more flexible and more delicate and more gracious and you can't really figure out which one it is. And I always love the video of the different kinds of moms. Our favorite mom in this one video that talks about the different kinds of mom in homeschool is the one that has chocolate on her shirt but can't tell if it's chocolate or poop. And if you're afraid of me saying poop in, uh, on Sunday in church, then you're not used to, to child rearing, I guess. But the point is, but the point is, is that is that there 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 are demands there are demands um, on our sisters in Christ and demands on our mothers in Christ, and and all of these demands can oftentimes rob uh, moms and and fathers for that matter of the blessing and knowing that they have the blessing. But that's the deal, right? Because Leah Leah and Rachel are blessed. That's the thing that we see from the bird's eye view, from the, from the third person perspective, is that Leah and Jacob, Leah, well, Jacob as well, but Leah and Rachel are both blessed. One is chosen and one is loved, but both of them will be blessed. And ultimately, the chosen line doesn't make anyone better and doesn't mean that anybody should be bitter. The chosen line means that Jesus is coming to the earth to make all peoples blessed. All nations of the world will be blessed through him. And ultimately, Rachel herself will have her baby in due time. It, by the way, will be Joseph, one of the most formidable Bible characters in the world. So she has to get used to the blessing metronome rather than the favoritism metronome, or rather than the jealousy metronome. But this is what happens. God doesn't bless us at the same rate, and so jealousy sinks in. That's the first word of the next, next phrase. Listen, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Jealousy will steal a blessing so quick. What you don't have will rob you of eyes to see the gratitude for what you do have so quick. And you'll miss the blessing and fight for what you already have. And everybody's grass is greener on the other side, and the one that's chosen has always wished they were blessed, and the one that's blessed wished they were chosen, the one that was loved wished they were all, few, all three. I love Michael Scott. He says, I wish you, you know, I could be feared for how much you love me, is what Michael Scott says, and maybe that's the wisdom of the day, right? But they're both blessed. That's the point. Everybody in this room, you, you, me, 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 we are all blessed in Jesus' name. No matter what number you are on the Enneagram or what personality disposition you are, you're a gift, and if you don't give your gift, no one else can give your gift for you. You are made in the image of God as a unique fingerprint, handmade not by factories and, and laboratories, and you are blessed and you have a special blessing that no one else will have and no one else will ever receive and only you have it in your hands. Do you know you're blessed today? So Rachel saw this thing. She becomes jealous of her sister and she says to Jacob, give me, your, give me children or I'll die. Verse two, Jacob says, Jacob gets angry with her and says, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Women, uh, wives, need their husbands to be responsible for things they can't control. The thing about um, being a husband that's tough, your wives are reminding you how passive you are. I mean, every other day in 16 different body language and verbal ways, they're saying, like, can you just do something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, do you not see that? I mean, I could list off the last things. Did you not see that, like, the dryer just set off a circuit and like almost said, can you just like get up off the couch and like, can you just do, do something? 
I mean, there's nicer ones and there's meaner ones. There's more passive-aggressive wives, right? But if you're a husband or can you do something, like, right? And so the deal is, is that, like, we side with Jacob because Jacob kind of can't do anything about it. And a lot of times, husbands, this is the thing that stinks. And and I'm bearing with you here because I'm a husband too, right? Because they're asking you to take control of things that you can't control, right? This is the point. Case in point. She's saying, make me have a baby. It's like, if I could solve that problem, we'd be billionaires and that would not be our biggest problem, right? Make me have a baby. And what does Jacob say? This is, this is, this is ultimately, I think, a diagnostic of every, every husband in his home, right, before they meet Jesus. Not my problem. Not my, resp- not my, not my uh, ability to change it. Not my ability to control. So I can't control it. It's not my problem. But God is saying in this passage to his husband, it is your problem. And so the problem is, is that men, this is the reality of passivity, is that men don't like to fail. And we don't like to see things that don't have instant fruit. But there's nothing faithful that any man has ever done for their husband that isn't ultimately fruitful, first of all. That's, that's number one. And she's asking you not to control things. She's asking you just to care about it. If you would just care about it, that's the success. She's not asking you to be able to become Tim Allen and fix the house all of a sudden. She just wants you to care. Just pray for her. And when she's with you, just pray with her. And it bothers us, right, because we create this false image of what a husband should be, that a husband keeps the bread on the table. As long as the husband keeps the bacon on the table, he's, he's keeping, make sure there's a burglar, he's got a baseball bat, he's doing his job in a husband. I hate to tell you, listen, there's nothing in here, biblically, in terms of illustration, that says a husband is a breadwinner. You know what a husband is? A husband is a farmer. You know how much a farmer has control over his crops? Very little. Does a farmer work hard? Absolutely. Is the farmer accountable to the fruit and the flourishing of his family, of his garden? Absolutely. Can he control it? No. What is Jesus doing? You are not called for success. You're called the fruit. And the reason, and, and what happens is that he's calling you out of the place because God doesn't create fruit in human control. He creates fruit in surrender and trust. So as a husband, what we're called to do is, as farmers is to see our families flourish and thrive. The farmer doesn't check out. I took the trash out four times and washed the dishes four times. You should be happy with that, right? That's not the litmus test for the success of the farmer. If the farmer doesn't have any crops in his field, that farmer's losing, man. And if your wife is wilting in your presence, you're losing. You're a farmer, and so you don't clock out. And so, so the, litmus test, the litmus test is not I clocked in and clocked out and I took the trash out six times. It's fruit. Do you have fruit? Are your kids flourishing in your, in your household? Is your wife best, is she and does she do her best in your presence or her worst in your presence? This is what it's saying, right? And so, so Jacob is angry and there's two kinds of anger. And let me just confess to you, I mean, I'm only preaching to myself this morning, you know? I had a great conversation with Kyra and she was like, we're talking about how I don't get, don't get angry that much. And I, I don't know what your disposition is, you know, or whatever. There's different types of personality. But I would contend that we all like a little bit of control. And usually we just get, we get angry about different kinds of things at different times. And I was like, I think the reason why I don't get angry is because I, I kind of don't have a lot of expectation. I don't know if you remember this conversation. I was like, I think I just kind of lowered the expectation. It was really funny because right in the middle of the conversation, we started talking about something that I like, well, what if I just had this expectation? Then I would think this, and then, then this person would this, and I would get really mad. And I'm literally talking about the expectation. And as I'm talking about the expectation, my volume of my voice goes up, and I literally made myself angry right there. And I promise I haven't been angry in two weeks, and I made myself angry, right? Passivity is anger that's just transformed into apathy. And nothing changes without anger. So it's not the exit of anger, right? It's the surrender of anger towards God. I, God, I expect this to change, Jacob has always been angry, and maybe so have I. But when you close your world into the small little things that you can control and you have a zen little garden and you don't actually get angry until somebody actually robs you of your own personal comfort, you're actually more angry than you think. Because you've, you, you haven't actually released control and actually surrendered. You just minimize your responsibility. You're responsible for your family. You're responsible for your neighborhood. And if you're not angry about that, then you should be. Because nothing changes without anger. And so the passivity, right, that leaks into our lives, not just men, but women as well, right? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, like, if we're not angry, why not? 
Because nothing changes without anger. And God's not calling us to shrink our, our, our scope of responsibility so we can shrink our scope of control. He's calling us out into areas of responsibility that we can't control. This is what it means to be a farmer. You can't control the fruit. You just have to surrender. We don't like to live there, man. And we want to be engineers. We want to work in a lab. We want to have people coming and going. We want to boss people around. Fruit doesn't come in the lab. It comes in the garden. And gardeners got to work and have no control. Go and make disciples of all nations, of all the jerks and all the backwards people and arrogant, ugly. Go into the nations of all the people that are going to not listen to you and dishonor you and disgrace you, and you're going to send you out like sheep among wolves. But guess what? I'm with you even to the end of the age. I'm calling you to impossible things because that's where fruit grows. And if you've shrunken your, your, your life to the size of organizing a little garage, that's not what you were created for. You were created in God's image to do God's handiwork, handmade work that costs you your control. And so it continues. Uh, verse 3, going on to the next verse. Sorry, I started John 29. You probably picked that up, but this is verse 3 and verse 30. Then she said, here's Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me. This is Rachel now, the jealous one. She's the one that's loved but not chosen. Her womb is closed. She will have a baby, but she doesn't have one yet. So she, she, she pushes forward her servant. This is an old thing that Sarah's been doing. It's about having babies through the servant and hopefully finding significance. That's the thing about these women. It's not, about, it's not just about having babies and having you know, a diaper party for yourself. It's about safety and significance. It's about who I am as a human being that these women are struck to the core and they're not having any babies and time's running out and the you know, biological clock is ticking and so here's my servant, you sleep with her. We'll have a baby through Bilhah. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. These names, you could do a study on your own of each of these names and how insecure they are and how they're fighting and contending for blessings that they already have. God has vindicated me as listened to my plea as though he hasn't already listened to you. Because of this, she has named, uh, uh, named him Dan. Verse 7, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I've won. So she named him Naphtali. Yeah, Rachel doesn't see the big picture and she doesn't see that her fruit is coming. She, she's, she's growing impatient. She, just, she wants to contribute. She, she has that divine motherly instinct from Genesis to be fruitful and to multiply. And for all the success that she can conjure up in her, in her head and all the love and affection that she can get from Jacob, it can't replace that God-shaped hole, that blessing to be fruitful and generative in the nations and to be fruitful. And so she says, rather than having a baby through my own body, I'm going to have a baby vicariously through somebody else. I'm going to give fruit to something else. I'm going to be somebody else, basically. Um, I remember back when I started youth group, uh, I used to listen to too many podcasts. Um, Francis Chan, I used to listen to Mark Driscoll. It was not good, man. Stephen Furtick. And uh, it was just too many podcasts because I, I, I just wanted to preach. And I remember seeing um, some of these preachers with these big auditoriums and they would, they would tell these jokes and they would have these lines. And I remember like I would write down the lines and then I would go down to youth group and try and do like my best Stephen Furtick impression. Y'all are laughing. It just, this guy knows, you know, that's Charles knows. That's not how you do it, man. I remember one time Furtick was like, there's a flag on the plate. Man, he gets them all riled up. He's like, you ever watch a football game and... Somebody makes a calling, and then, and then he's like, there's a ruling from a higher source, and, then, and God's going to change the ruling, you know, and he drops the line. I mean, I'm killing, I'm massacring it right now. And I would try and do what he did to get the same results. You know, I, I wanted that fruit so badly, I would, I would try and mimic. I would try and, try and be like these preachers to get some of the same results, and, and that's just not how anointing works. Like, you can't copy anointing, because anointing comes with a story. And anointing comes through brokenness, and anointing is unique. I'm not a factory. Like, we're not made in factories. We're made in, in God's image by God's hands. And so I just remember I had one distinct, you know, Wednesday night just giving up and just talking. Just decide to talk, you know, like I'm doing right now. Just get aside and put my preacher voice aside, leave the strings, you know, not have strings attached, and just talk. Talk about what I thought was on the Lord's heart. Talk about what was bothering me. Talk about things that were breaking my heart. Talk about things that were current in my life. I just decided to talk, and there was so much connection more in just the talking than the preaching. And there is more fruit. And, and so here's the trick, right? Like I think, I think the anointing is in the story. I think what's going on when we witness somebody and see somebody in their element, like Johnny Prefontaine used to say, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. I mean, there's, there's things that we do where it's just almost like we're asleep in the gift. We're just being who we are. 
And there's so many barriers on the way to that of like, you know, these numbers and categories. And even in church, we have these different positions and we have these gift sets. And then in the world, we have all these occupational gifts and these, you're more like this, you're a salesman guy, or you're a, you know, you're more of a nurse, or you're more like that. And, 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 and the more I think about it, it's like gifts don't come from positions so much as they come from testimonies. They come from stories. And, and, and it's almost as though when God puts a gift on somebody, it's like you don't have to give them a job description. They just are the gift walking around. Have you ever noticed this? It's like when somebody is a counselor and they have a counseling gift, they just counsel. They could be in kids' ministry and they counsel. They could be with moms and they counsel. They could be with youth groups. They counsel. It's just their gift. It's just who they are when they're in the room. They don't need a job description. They just sort of give away their story and they give away their life and they just impact and influence. And if they didn't give their gift in that way, then nobody else could give it for them. But in the meantime, I think, I think there's a comparison. I think there's a trap that makes us look at other people and, and think that there's a, a position or a title or, or some other thing that's going to allow us to give our gift more efficiently and effectively. And maybe that's the case. Maybe there really are ways that we can find our, you know, a, a spot, you know, a sweet spot where we can really operate in our gift set. But even if we're not, there's always an opportunity to give as long as he's in the room. And there's, and there's no way to have babies through other people, I guess is the point. There's no way to see fruit. Um, um, what's the word I used earlier? There's no way to see fruit vicariously through a surrogate. All right, verse 9, when Leah saw that she was uh, stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and then Leah said, what good fortune? So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him um, Asher. And so again, you have these two people that are jealous of each other, one having chosenness and one having blessing. But here's the ironic thing, right? Think about this. Leah was the one that was having the fruit and became jealous of Rachel's fake fruit. Leah is the one, listen, that has the blessing, but is jealous of the world's success. And wouldn't that visit us this morning? Isn't that relevant to us today? Man, there's things that, like, I know this as a guy, there's things that raise eyebrows at parties. There's just things that are impressive. And raising kids and making disciples is often not the things that raise eyebrows, Right? And so here's, the, here's, I think, the drama and, and I think the tragedy that's being introduced in this passage is that you could have the very blessing of heaven that will go on for eternity and you will drop that so fast that you can get somebody's eyebrows to raise about your name in a party. And the blessings that we'll let go of. Man, we got kids that look up to us, they adore us. We've got spouses that need our care, that need our nurturing, that need our love and protection. We've got children in our classroom. We've got friends in our small group, in our community that could... They could just use prayer and use blessing, but man, we're just so enthralled by the success of the world. And so this is the crazy tragedy, right? The one that's chosen that has the blessing of heaven is jealous of the world's success. And I think it, it seeps all the way into, into church. I think it seeps all the way into church world. As a matter of fact, let's read on to this passage. It says in verse 14, during the wheat, wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found uh, some mandrake plants. So mandrake plants are almost like a natural um, fertility plant is, is kind of what the study will tell you. And so uh, Reuben, who is Leah's son, has this mandrake plant. And uh, so he brings it to uh, his mom, Reuben, or Leah, rather. And Rachel says to Leah, give me some of your mandrake plants. So, so it seems to read to me, right, that Leah, Rachel is the one that wants to have the baby, and so she wants to kind of like engineer her fertility. She wants to, like, get a hold of these drugs, and there's nothing against, right? It's like fertility drugs. I'm not here to preach on that. I'm just saying, like, in terms of just in terms of spiritual fruit, we want to engineer the thing, put it in a lab. We want to control it. We want it on our own terms. We think that pregnancy comes from our own uh, engineering, and, 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 and fruitfulness can come from our own plans and engineering, rather than fruitfulness coming from prayer and God. So Rachel says, I want your mandrakes. I want these things, which is a lot like Jacob. In, in a moment, I'll, I'll touch on that. But verse 15, she says, but she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So, so in, this, in this thing, there's a parallel. History repeats itself where Rachel is a lot like Esau. Remember, Esau sold his birthright for a thing, a stew. Rachel was about to be with her husband and receive the blessing the right way, right? From God. She's going to receive fruit and be fruitful. But instead, she decides to take the blessing on her own terms and, and determine and mandate through the mandrakes how I'm going to engineer my own fruit. So she, she despises the fruit. She despises the blessing and chooses her own success in its place. And so she trades away her night with her husband, which would have gone, you know, brought about fruit in her life, right? She holds on to it, these mandrakes plants, so she gets the mandrakes, but then Leah gets the husband, Okay, so adding insult to injury, Leah goes on and actually has more babies with Jacob while Rachel has her mandrake plants. 
Right, so this is the idea, is that, that humans, man, we, we, we trade our fruitfulness. Like, we are, we are born fruitful. In Jesus Christ, he says, if you abide in me and, and, and I in you, you will, be, you will bear much fruit, fruit that will remain, not success. You will bear fruit and fruit that will matter. And you will, you will be able to make disciples into the nations. And so, and so this is the deal, is that because of their, of their jealousy and because of their, of their comparison, that they're in between each other, we have this manipulation of, of fertility. And therefore, um, a lost blessing and a lost opportunity to see what God is unfolding right in their lives. Rachel, for example, these are just some applications that I thought of, you know. She's engineering fruit. It's so nice to have a clean ministry, you know. Like, that's the thing, is like, in ministry, when you go to that Christian bookstore, you see a book and it says, like, how to live a godly life. And, and, and there's great scriptures in there, and... And it can, I have seen and will lead you if you go and get literature and, and books and, and podcasts that will guide you on your path with Jesus, right? But it can't replace fruit. And the thing that happens when you go to the Christian bookstore, right? You slap down the $30 and what you feel is the sense of comfort and confidence that you can, you can engineer and purchase a plan for yourself that will make sure that you'll go from A to Z without skipping any steps. And there's a feeling about that, right? There's a feeling, right? When I'm, as a church leader, in the whiteboard in the boardroom and you have all these people and they're all these little numbers and you can like plan them from A to B and then they'll take this step and then they'll take this step and then you get into ministry and you know that like none of that ever works, right? And there's this illusion of like of, of control and engineering and, and, and none of that ever works. And then, and then there's this other kind, right? Where, where, where Leah is, is trying to create this contract and they're pushing, they're, it's, like, it's like this push of, of carrots and sticks to try and get people to come to church and come to Jesus. And I'm going to give you the t-shirt and I'm going to slap you on the back and I'm going to give you this position and I'm going to keep you entertained and I'm going to keep, you know, keep the success going as though that's the thing that's going to bring the fruit. And, and so these two people, right, they want fruit, but they don't really want it. They really want success and they're trying to manage success on their own terms. I can remember in youth group after that night with Isaac, he was one of the people in the group, and, and, and Marisa's sister was in this group too, and we went to this trip in Atlanta, and we went to go see Jesus Culture, and I remember seeing all these teenagers, man, and like there was no chubby bunny, like there was no, there was no lock-ins allowed, right? And, uh, and they, just, they were just praying. And I want to make sure too, you know, before we close up today, to, to, to pray for our youth group in this way, like they were just caught on fire, and, and so anyways, we, we, we got the, the book. We went and bought the book at the little table, and... Um, and it was a neat little book, and it was clean, and, and it was like a mandrake, and we purchased it, right? But it opened up a ton of Holy Spirit conversations. And so I remember we read the book, and we fasted with these kids, and we prayed for the youth group. And what happened over the next couple of months was nothing short than the power of God. And, and what ultimately took place over the next couple of months, I remember, I mean, kids were getting saved, and, and there was healings that were taking place, and People were being bold about their faith and sharing the gospel. And, and it's like you didn't have to beg them for the T-shirt to get them there and get them all excited and riled up like they just wanted the Lord. And they just came. And what happened was is that the control, right, of the adults, what you watched over the last couple of months is like the control of the adults and the programs and the neat little pockets and the groups and you go here and you go there, it gave way. And what happened is that the, the kids kind of just took over the youth group. Have you ever been a part of this where the kids take over the youth group? Right? Like Clemson FCA in large part, like, some of you guys are from Clemson FCA. It's a little bit messy sometimes because it's all student-led, but it's like a 2,000-person student-led megachurch, right? And there's a difference between an engineered gathering, a business, a laboratory, and a family. And I don't know what else to tell you, but, but there, was, there, was, there was something that took root in that thing, and, and, I, and it wasn't controlled, and it couldn't be duplicated, and it wasn't something that could be written down. It was just about the Holy Spirit meeting with the, these kids, and on and on and on, it, 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 just, it just grew and it, it represented real fruit. And I don't think any of that could have, could have been duplicated by any, any man or any engineered plan or any, any mandrake. And so um, I did want to make a note before I, before I close up here uh, with this last passage, um, just to pray for, for our youth group. And so I'll make it really quick and then and I'll close in this one passage. Um, but I, I, I do feel led um, this morning... Um, as we're, as we're reflecting and, and considering the passages of Scripture of, of your fruit, Lord, we, we ask you um, for fruit over success. And um, I know my background is in youth group. There's many in this room that have been touched and deeply impacted by youth ministry. We thank you for those that have done lock-ins and stayed up overnight and cried with us and prayed with us. 
And we ask that you would do again in this generation to bring about fruit and not success. And so, um, and so I, I, I just ask that, um, that you, would, you would create a place where brothers and sisters could, could be around the table and to, um, and to give the gift that they've been given. And I pray specifically uh, for, for our youth group. Um, I remember that season of time. It was like the Lord likes to choose the younger ones. The Lord likes to choose the children. And there was somewhat of a revival that took place simply because the children led us, the youth led us. And so I'm not just picking on the youth group, but for the children's ministry as well. We bless that garden, Lord. We're farmers and we're not generals. And our, we're here to nurture and we're here to cultivate and water and, 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 and labor, but we don't bring increase. Only the Holy Spirit brings increase. And so I just bless our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and really the, the church ministry overall, the Lord, that we be fruitful and not just successful. In Jesus' name, amen. Last verse that I wanted to read to you and then give you a couple questions to consider, but it's popped out to me this week as I've been reading through Matthew in, in one of my groups, but in Matthew 121, um, another son is born, and that name isn't, built on angst. That name is built on blessing. It is based on the I am promise that's gone back from Genesis 12, the fruition of the promise. The seed from the woman was going to go forth and crush the head of the serpent in Matthew 121. Mary, the virgin, her womb is, 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 is impregnated by the Spirit of God, not by any man, not by flesh at all. And it says she gives birth to a son, and the angel tells her, you're to give him this name, Jesus because he will save people from their sins. This is fruit. This is, this is how we, de- we, we define fruit. Is the uncontrolled space where God breaks in and does what we can't do without him. It's the handmade work that he's created us to do that puts us in this trepidatious place of no control, but much responsibility, that we're owners of nothing but stewards of everything. And God, he traced the line all the way from Adam into David, and into Judah, and ultimately into Joseph. But guess what? Joseph didn't even make Mary pregnant. It was the spirit that did it in the first place. It's 0.0% man and 101% God, right? And so, so he names him Jesus, and this is what fruit is, that people would turn from their sins to know him. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you um, to just receive him by faith. He came um, humbly in a manger. He came to meet with us, and he's the only one that can bear fruit. And this life is not for success. It's for fruit. It's for the Spirit of God to meet the people of God in real ways. And when, when even the world sees it on The Voice or American Idol or anywhere else, they're testifying to what real fruit is. It's the Spirit of God doing in man what he cannot do on his own. And this is what fruit would be. The purest form of fruit was Jesus born in the womb of Mary. Um, all right, so I have a couple questions for you. If you would take a look at the screen. Uh, it's really, to me, this passage is not just about having babies or about fertility. It is about making disciples. It is impossible to make uh, disciples without Jesus, but Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And I think that as we go and if we go and we're sent by the Holy Spirit, we'd be amazed at the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has no problems with fertility. The, pro- the Holy Spirit has no problems with barrenness. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit reigns on all flesh and he's calling even us today that we would go out as farmers and not generals. And to love and to nurture. And so where, this is the question, it's, 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 it, today is not about organizing your garage. Today is not about collecting your 401k. Those are all means to the end. The point is, is names and not numbers. The point is handmade gifts. And the point is the gifts of the Holy Spirit that do things that man cannot do. Are we putting ourselves in this spot? Where are you called to make disciples? Number one, the question I would ask is, what spiritual fruit are you copying or engineering? There's, there's a quote I heard a preacher say one time, if you saw yourself the way that you were created to be you would never want to be anyone else you have a song that you're supposed to sing you have a gift that you're supposed to bring you are a handmade person for handmade gifts and you can't copy it from any preacher it has to be your story and so what is the gift that you've been trying to engineer or copy or duplicate i would i would argue that your gifts and your fruitfulness is not going to come from your talent ultimately it's going to come from your surrender so so where is the copying and engineering where's the mandrakes and where's the contracts because that's not where the best blessing flows The blessing flows through the surrender. It comes from that humble place. I can't control it, but I do care. I can't control racial discord in my my city, but I care about it. I can't control whether or not people become disciples, but I care about it. 
I can't control if my students learn, but I care, right? I can't control my wife's attitude, but I care. I can't control my children. I can't even control my own emotions, but I care. And I trust the Spirit in that spot. And where are you taking responsibility to have a holy anger for that? To not control and not to engineer. In what areas of your calling are you being passive or aggressive? We love to be in the place of ultimate control where everybody's on the whiteboard and we're telling everybody where to go. Or we love to be in the passive spot where we're just chilling and saying, okay, okay, Sarah and laissez-faire, and I don't get angry and you're angry, but how come you're not? I'm not angry. You're not angry. How come I'm not angry, right? Passive is angry too. Passive is anger given to apathy. Where's the holy anger? Where's the holy unrest? Where's the prophet's cry that would call out, God, you're not done working and I will not stand to see, you know, the, you know spiritual children um, be taken from your hand. Right? And so I'm going out. I'm taking initiative and I'm taking responsiveness and I'm a farmer in this field. And great is the harvest, right? But, but, but greater is the spirit in us that would make the harvest ready for the workers to go forth. And lastly, what impossible things are you surrendered to? The kingdom is an impossible thing. It's not controlled, man-made things that everybody can organize. It's an impossible, stressful thing that we're surrendered to. And that's the place that we live. I'm going to call the band to come forward and, um, and I would love for us to, to meet with him on these things. Um, as you're led... Uh, um, I would love for you to, to, to stand and respond with me. But um, let's, um, let's, um, let's let these, let these, these words um, consider on our heart and, and let's consider how the Holy Spirit might, might lead us and prompt us in his, in his harvest today. And so Holy Spirit, I, you know what? In this room, I can even see it with my eyes closed. You know, there's bankers, there's numbers guys, there's um, speakers, there are counselors, there's quiet ones, and none of them are the same. And none of them need to go anywhere else but you to find a blessing. Man, if there's one word that would come out of the story for us, Lord, is that you, you have filled us with your spirit to be fruitful. And so, God, man, I, just, I, I sense that you would, you would challenge us, that you would confront us even in good ways, that we would not leave this earth successful without fruit. And so, um, for those that have, have been waiting for spiritual fruit, maybe even physical fruit, those that, that are, have been physically barren, moms in the room, but then in all the other cases for spiritual fruit that have watched other people that seem like they're just so much more comfortable in their own skin and they know where to go and they know what to say and we always feel like we have two left feet and we don't know what to do or, and so forth, Lord, I just ask that you would continue to Remind them how many times it said in the scripture today that you see them and that you hear them and that you know them and you call them. So I ask, Lord, that you would um, continue to remind us that Rachel had Joseph, Lord, and that we have the gifts of the Spirit that we're meant to bring and that no one else can bring for us. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the fruitful one. You're the one that brings great fruit. And so we'll abide in you as you give much fruit and fruit that would remain as you call us into the harvest and out of our homes. And Lord Jesus, that we would put ourselves in harm's way and in risk, Lord, that we would be gardeners in your vineyard, that we would be harvesters in your field, Lord, that some plant and some reap and some sow, but only you bring increase. And so, Lord, I thank you right now for times of ministry and prayer and worship and response um, as you bring the gift forward through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.